You know, I, I was thinking about what God was kind of stirring within me as I was preparing, and I felt like <laughs> at the end of the day, what the Lord was really just simply asking me to do was come up here this morning and ask a very simple but yet a very probing question, and it's, it's the one that's in your bulletin, and it's a very personal question, but it's a, it's a question I think that's vital, and that's do you love God? Do you love God? You say that's a silly question to ask a church, right? But what I want to give context in the beginning is I'm not asking you, did you say a prayer a matter of years ago? I'm not asking you, are you busy for God? I'm not asking you if you attend Bible study or prayer meeting, youth group, Sunday school. I'm not asking those things. I'm asking, do you love God? It's at a very simple level, but a very deep level. And I, feel, I felt like this was the heart of God this morning to ask us. And he's asking me too. Do we love God? And I think part of what drew this to me, and I, it was just this idea that sometimes I look around at the general body of Christ and I say, man, are we impacting the world the way God intended? Are we making the difference? And some, some stretches of time, it sure doesn't feel like it. You know, when we see the way the culture, the world is headed, and we could go through all the statistics, I'm not going to do that this morning. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the connection between two words, love and God. Love and God, right? And, and those two words, when they get used in the same sentence, I began to think about how often do we hear about how much God loves us coming toward us compared to how much we love God back to him. Now, I didn't, do, I didn't have time for a survey, okay? I didn't get to do a poll on this. I did ask our Bible study group at, at work, if that counts. It's about eight people if you think that's a scientific study. And someone, someone threw out probably 80% we focus on, we talk about how much God loves us, to 20% the other direction. I said, that's probably not bad. I would probably go 90-10 myself. Now, as we're going to talk about, please don't hear this morning that I think it's a bad thing for us to talk about how much God loves us. I don't think we can ever outgrow that. I don't think we ever get so mature in the Lord that we don't need to be reminded of that. And we, we know that that is a foundational place that things start. So it's vital that we know that God loves us, that we hear that, that we communicate that. But what I'm not so comfortable with, I guess, and if I'm sensing anything of what the Lord's heart is on this, what I'm not so sure is, do we talk enough about how much we love him or our call to love him? And like any relationship, and I think we see this in the scriptures, God's relationship to us is an awful lot like our relationships to one another, our relationship to our spouse or whatever. A one-way relationship often isn't real healthy. It's not flowing. It's not what it meant to be. It may survive, it may make it, but is it, in the, is it in gear? Is it moving like it was meant to move when it's so much one way rather than, you know, to some proportion? And I don't, I don't know exactly what percentage. There's no Bible verse that says the percentage should be this. So why this matters? I think it matters because to the extent we focus on something or emphasize something over time, it begins to affect how we live and if we are not thinking enough about our reciprocating the love God has shown us, 
Can it become familiar? You've heard the t- term familiarity breeds contempt. Do we begin to almost minimize and devalue that which we don't focus on enough? That's kind of a subjective thing. What's more important, though, is I think what Scripture clearly says to us on this topic. So if you would turn, I'm going to be in a lot of places this morning. You may just want to write down references and look at them. But if you want to turn, let's turn the first one to Mark chapter 12. Very, very familiar text, I think, to most of us. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And this is one of, uh, you know, a common encounter Jesus had with religious leaders or people where they came to him in verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing Jesus had given a good answer. He asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus. Let's just stop right there. The most important one, answered Jesus. Not one of many, not just another one, not a good suggestion. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus himself highlighted. He would have taken highlighter if he was in our modern day. He would have put bold and italics, whatever, to say, this is key. You know, it's kind of like we talk about when Jesus repeats himself, right? Again, I say to you, right? Well, here, he's just saying the words we all get, the most important. If you want to say greatest, if you want to say another adjective, get out your thesaurus, the bottom line is he's saying, mark this down. Focus on this. This is vital. And in the Matthew text, the same encounter, it's interesting, he even went on to say, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What a statement. What a statement. I mean, I think sometimes because most of us aren't Jewish, we don't appreciate what that statement means. Everything from Genesis through all the major and minor prophets hangs on these commandments. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, we're talking law after law after law after law. We're talking prophecy. Prophets declaring, pointing in the ways they did, and all of it hangs on this. Wow, what, a, what a, a light shone down on something to focus on. Love the Lord your God. But it's, it's interesting to me, secondly, why I think this is relevant, Jesus himself asked the question, didn't he? He asked it to Peter. He literally and directly asked Peter, his top disciple, do you love me? Peter. Do you love me? He asked him three times. We often then very much, we correlate it to what three times? Peter's denial, right? But he asked him a question. Isn't that an interesting question? Do you love me? He didn't say, hey, Peter, why'd you chicken out? He didn't say, Peter, why are you such a coward? Peter, why do you talk so big over here and then later can't back it up? He could have have drilled him. He said, do you love me? Because, see, that's the heart of God. I don't think God's into just throwing our faces into stuff, but he's into a love relationship. It matters to him. The heart of God cares that we love him. And I know we're so used to just saying, man, he's agape love, he's unconditional love, and we hear it, and it's true. But do we take that for granted? 
do we now think it doesn't matter to him whether we love him back? Because he's got it all covered. He's going to love for all of us. His love is amazing. His love is powerful. But he still asked his top disciple, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, I want us to think for a second about the, the, the denial of Peter. I know it's a historical fact, a unique fact that happened. And I know he asked Peter specifically, and I'm not here trying to broaden that to, you know, twist scripture to say, oh, he's really meant it for everyone. But here's what I want you to think about. What, again, why did he ask that question? Peter denied him. Let's think about it. Peter, who had walked with him. Peter, who had tasted of the heavenly. Peter, who had seen miracles done through him as well as Jesus himself, Peter who watched, well, watched Jesus do miracle after miracle, show compassion after compassion along the dusty roads and in houses and in synagogues and everywhere else. This is Peter, and again, Peter who did say he'd never fall away, he'd never desert. But, but the important thing I want you to think about is what did Peter say? When, when asked... And, and, and the clincher for me is over in, you don't need to turn there, Mark 14, 71. It says, Peter, when the third denial was coming, it says he began to call down curses and he swore to them. It's like he took an oath to say, this is true. I'll prove it. I'll give an oath that this is true. Obviously, his language gets nasty. But he, he basically swore to them, just like how people do. I'm not a fan of that. Again, I believe let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm not a big fan of, you know, people, I swear this or I swear that. I don't think that's a, a, a way we should talk personally. But the reality is that's what Peter in some form did. I don't know exactly how it came out. And then he said, after he swore to it, he said, I don't know this man you're talking about. I don't know him. Now, at a surface level, again, we can focus on the cowardly, the, the, the part of Peter but what I want you to hear is the words, I don't even know him. How many of you today, how many of you have hurt someone with your words before? Raise your hand. Okay? We all have, right? We've all done it. Stingers, right? My wife knows I can sting with words. And I'm not proud of it. But I've done it. My kids know it sometimes. You know, in your worst moment, you say it a little too hard, you add a little too much, you say it. But it's interesting, Peter didn't just say, you know, Lord, I'm a little tired of you right now. You're a little over the top for me, you know, or whatever. He literally denied he'd ever known him. Can you imagine in a relationship, I, I hope no one here in this room has heard that, to literally have someone say, to hear them talking to someone else, yeah, isn't that, isn't that lady over there your wife? I don't know her. You ever had that one? Never met her before, don't care to. Wow. How would that do for your next anniversary? This was a powerful thing. We skip over it. We're so familiar, right? Peter denied the Lord. He did it three times before the rooster crowed. It's like, you know, a child's narrative to us. But we don't stop and think, that's brutal. That is a brutal thing. To say, even at a human level, it's unthinkable almost. Someone that you've had rich fellowship, intimacy with on any level, to deny they even exist. You say, Jamie, why bother with this? That was Peter, that was 2,000 years ago. Because I wonder, I wonder this morning as we sit here, 
depending where we're at in our love relationship with God, maybe we've not said the literal words Peter did. Maybe we've never been at the water cooler at work and someone pressed us in and said, hey, are you a Christian? And maybe we've never said those literal words, but have we acted like it? Have we acted like he doesn't even exist? Like he's not even there. And then we'll quick run back to church. And, oh yeah, I think everything's cool, God. Yeah, but what about over there? What about in your home? Do I exist there? Do I exist when you go to work? Young people, do I exist when you're in that school setting and the peer pressure's ratcheting up? Do I exist? Do you know me? Do you still know me? See, the Lord cares, just like we would. He cares whether we love him or not. He deeply cares that we love him. And I guess the final reason it matters is, and I was actually surprised, of it, not that there's a ton of it, but loving God is a consistent attribute in the scriptures about those who are on their way to heaven. It really is. You know, just one example is James 1.12. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who what? Love him. To those who love him. See, it's, it's a characteristic. The, the New Testament, that was a characteristic. Loving God was characteristic. They could say, oh yeah, he loves God. He's a, he's a believer. He's going he's gonna to have heavenly reward. He's going to heavenly mansions. Because he loves God. Now, not works-based. I'm not making this works-based. But it was a characteristic. It was obvious to see that those who'd received the grace of God loved God. And it was apparent. And I think it's why they were able to persevere and they were able to overcome in that way. So I think it matters because he, he, he emphasized it, the greatest commandment, the most important. He literally asked a question to his top disciple. And I think it's an attribute of those who love him. But here's some good news this morning. What has God done to help us in this, right? We're sinners. We're fickle. We're prone to err. We're prone to be like Peter. High one moment, go from mountain to valley, right? Peter, Lord, you're the best. Everything's great. I don't even know him, right? I want us to look at a couple things he's provided. Uh, first thing he's provided, and it's, again, this is the simplicity, he simply loved us first. He initiated the love relationship, and he proves it in many, many, many ways, but he ultimately certainly proved it at the cross. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God. Now, don't hear that as it saying you don't have to. He's just saying love, the definition of it, the, the, the thought of it starts not with us initiating it toward God, but he loved us. He loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there's the cross, there's the payment, there's redemption, right? He proved it. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he sent his only son, right? God so loved the world. So again and again, in the writings of the New Testament especially, the love of God. God loves us. He initiates this love relationship with us, and then he beckons us into it. He calls us into it. So he's provided. He's shown us what love looks like. He's shown us that love initiates. Love is a commitment. We hear that all the time, right? It's not just an emotion. It's a commitment. 
Secondly, though, I love this verse. This is an easy one. Everyone say 5-5. Five, five. Now say Romans 5-5. Five, five. Okay, I want you to get this one this morning. I want you to get this scripture, and I want you to, it's real simple, I want you to get this one down and don't forget it. Because it tells us in Romans 5-5, five, five, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God pours, get that verb, his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Okay? He doesn't drip it. He's not a gas station back in the 80s rationing. You know, you can only get three gallons each car. He's not saying a little, you know, a little moderation here because you guys can't handle it. He pours it out. You know, think, you know, the woman with the oil over Jesus' head. Pour seems to be a, a great word God likes. He loves to pour. He loves to just lavish. He pours out that love into our hearts. This morning you may be thinking, man, that's not where I'm at. Don't even feel it. It's okay. It doesn't matter how you feel coming in here this morning. The reality is God wants you to know he is a pourer of his love. And he's asking you and I, make room for it. You know, make sure the, the like, like in the, when he turned the water into wine, get the canisters, get them empty, we're going to pour something in and something amazing is going to happen inside of them. But you've got to have the vessels ready. Get the vessels, get them open, make sure there's plenty of room because a lot's coming. Man, we're going to get as much love as we want. But the key is, how much do we want? This is a love, man. This is a, this is a tenacious love. This isn't like a love that we, this isn't Hallmark Channel, guys. Man, I've seen a few too many of those. <laughs> the goofiest movies I've ever seen. This isn't the Hallmark stuff. Okay, this isn't the cheesy Valentine stuff. This love will take hold. This love will transform. And that leads me to the third point. Not only did he initiate, not only does he pour out this love, this love is active. It's uh, transformational. It is not passive and dull. Okay? This isn't, you know, yeah, we'll just kind of get along together the rest of our lives. This love will grip you and me. This love will change us. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Think of who's saying this. This is Paul the Apostle. This is a guy who knew the Jewish text. He was considered one of the great teachers of his day, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay, we always focus on that, a you know, Pharisee, but remember, back then, that was a big deal. This guy was a teacher. He sat under Gamaliel, the best there was. You would think, is there much that can impress Paul, Saul back then? Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 5, Verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us. Another version says it constrains us. It grips us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And get this. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised to life. Oh, this love won't leave you where you're standing. Maybe that's why we only want a little bit sometimes. But then we only want a little bit and we complain why we don't feel it. But I'm telling you, he will give us as much as we want, but this love will do something deep, profound, and transformational when we allow it to. The great apostle, the great Pharisee of Pharisees, 
is basically saying here, something hit me and it's changed everything. Everything. All I thought was important, what did he say in Philippians? It's garbage compared to knowing him. I want to know him. There's a love relationship. I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It constrains you. It compels you. It won't leave us the same, brethren. It never would as intended to. And we maybe, maybe, and I'm at the top of it, because I haven't thought about that I need to love him back. I've gotten a little dull with how much he loves me. But man, I want, I want the arrows going both ways. I want that flowing both ways. Isn't that the best, right? How many of you have experienced that in any relationship, whether with a sibling, your spouse, your kids, when it's flowing both ways, right? When you don't always sit and say, man, I'm just loving and loving and, and nothing's happening, or, or vice versa, you feel bad because someone's loving on you and it, you're just whatever, you're just uh, you're apathetic, you're indifferent. Either Both those feel yucky, don't they? I remember before, before God brought Maureen to me, the, the few dating relationships I'd been in, I remember it felt like I was always, it was always me, head over heels, and eh, from the other person, or the other way around, and I felt worse even about that. When someone I felt like, man, they like me, and I'm just kind of, uh, I don't know. It is. It's a, I mean, it's funny, but it's lousy. It's a horrible place to be in. It's great when it's flowing. It's great when it's flowing. And when I met Maureen, it was like, oh, Lord, thank you. This is, this is what I've been, you know, in Christ, so desiring. That kind of thing. All right. Let's go to, I guess, a picture then. So it matters. He's told us it matters. He's provided for it, right? He pours his love. It's a transforming love. What does it look like? What does it look like to love God? This, is, this feels like it can be very subjective. And look, a disclaimer before we even get into this. There's a gazillion things we could say here. So please, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not trying to be th- completely thorough here, but hopefully some things that can help. These are just things I felt like the Spirit of God put on my heart to share this morning. Not a complete list. So what does it look like to love God? Well, here's one, and I don't know why. This one just kind of cracked me up as I thought about it, but at the same time, it's just, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of common sense, but it, it makes us feel awkward. How about we tell him we love him? How about we tell him? Now, now hold on for a sec, because you say, well, that was really simple. And oh, by the way, my daughter and I just had this conversation. Actions speak louder than words. Anyone can mouth the words. True. Very, very true. Anyone can mouth the words. I agree. And actions do speak louder than words. We're going to get to actions. Don't worry. You actions speak louder than words, folks. You're going to get your feeding here too. But I would argue words do matter and words do affect actions. And if the words are never there, at some point, there's an emptiness. There's a lacking. When's the last time in your quiet time in this sanctuary and worship, when's the last time... Not just hallelujah, not just praise you, Lord, or the Lord is good. When's the last time you literally said, Lord, I love you. I love you. Man, I love you. I just love you. Not for whatever, I just simply love you. It's interesting. I think a pretty, and and let me, as a thing from from my, my, uh, my male counterparts in this room, this probably gets a little harder for us. Some of us struggle with this. We struggle with it at the human level. 
Some of us really struggle with it when it comes to God. I understand. But let me, let me tell you, there was a man's man named David, and he was a warrior. Okay? This guy unlocked lion's jaws to get sheep back. Okay? I don't know about you. I've seen a lot of reality shows. I've never seen someone doing that. Okay? He was a warrior. He led Israel to many battles, defeating the Philistines, etc. Obviously, Goliath. In Psalm 18.1, he starts out. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you. David had a heart after God. When you have a heart after God, the words I love you will roll off your lips pretty easily. When you love him because he's loved you, and David went through a whole Psalm, eight, Psalm 18, just tons of stuff. And this was, I believe, after one of the times God had rescued him from Saul and his men. He just says, I love you, Lord. Imagine David. Just, I just would have loved to picture David doing that. Passionate. How good that would be for some of us men to see sometimes because we, we kind of struggle when it gets kind of, we, we think it gets a little, you know, I don't know, emotional and gooey, gooey and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a passion that drives this. I believe the Spirit of God will put those words in our mouth. It's not about feeling, you know, emotional and weak or something like that. This to me is strength. This to me is strength when we begin to utter off our lips. You know, lip, what we say matters. There's a reason in salvation even we need to confess with our lips, right? It's not just, oh, you know, this, it's in here, don't worry. Yeah, believe in your heart, but confess. Speak it. Declare it. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. You are my rock and my redeemer. I'm passionate about you. You're good to me. You've been so good to me. Psalm 116.1, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. You know, even in the Godhead, even in the Trinity, you ever think about this? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus, Peter, James, John, Jesus transforms into this brilliant white and this amazing thing. And what did the, what did the voice from heaven boom? <laughs> That's my son, and I love him. He's my beloved son. I love him. Listen to him. This is my son. I love him. Man, the father and the son had that flowing. That's why Jesus loved being with the father. We'll get to that in a second. But he loved it. But the father wasn't ashamed. That's my son. You know what, Peter, James, and John? That's my son. I love him. There's a reason why we do well is human fathers and mothers, to express that, right? We do well in our marriages to express that. We do well in our brother-sister relationships to express that. Yeah, it needs to be sincere. can't be cheap. can't just be mere words, but I get all that. But words do matter. Secondly, tell him you love him. And by the way, I thought about this. When do you tell the Lord you love him? Right? Is there like a certain context to that? I, I don't have an answer for that. I think any time's good. But you know, let's start with this. How about the next time you take the Lord's Supper? How about the next time the bread and the juice come to you? Oh, Lord, you did this for me. I love you. How about the next time, you know, you mess up and you're sitting before the Lord. Lord, I confess that I said or did whatever. And all of a sudden the realization comes that he what? What does he do when you confess your sins? He forgives you. Why don't you tell him you love him? How about the next time he blesses you, he heals you, he rescues you out of a jam? Tell him you love him. How about the next time you get a paycheck? Lord, I love you. You're so good. You provide for all my needs. I love you. I think it's wide open. 
But the second thing is, when we love him, we'll make time to be just with him. Just with him. Oh, here it comes. You're going you're gonna to hit us with, read your Bible, pray. Actually, I, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily do that. Uh, th- those are obviously important things we should be doing. But again, today's message isn't about activity and just busy activity. I would argue today, part of the reason God put this message on my heart is many of us already are very busy doing the right things. But God's trying to reveal to us again where, what the foundation of it all is, a love relationship. But I will say this, I find these words amazing. Matthew 6, which was part of the Sermon on the Mount, remember the, the, Matthew 6 is kind of you know, the chapter about giving to the poor, praying, and fasting, right? And Jesus always made it clear, you know, this thing, do it not to be seen, but do it to your Father in heaven, right? Do it as unto him. Listen to these words, and maybe we'll get just a little different angle on these this morning. Matthew 6, verse 6, on prayer. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then in verse 17 on fasting, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it won't be obvious. You're not, you're not walking around, oh, I'm just miserable. What's wrong, buddy? Well, I'm fasting, you know. And, you know, don't, don't make it obvious, but only fast is unto your Father who's in, unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I know I've heard a lot of debates on these and don't, you know, make sure no one even knows you're praying. Make sure no one, and we get into these debates and, you know, you're going to lose your reward or you're not. Look, I'm not trying to solve that this morning because I think this is what God gave me. God is amazingly attracted to us when we go and sit before him with no other agenda and without concern whether anyone knows. I'm not praying and, oh, I hope brother so-and-so kind of sees me over here or I hope they hear about it or whatever. Look, I'm not getting into the whole lose your reward, get your reward thing. I just think our Father loves it when we simply want to be with him. Come into the closet. Close the door. No one's seeing you. No praise for man. You know, no likes on Facebook. No immediate validation. Don't get me going on Facebook. Well, actually, I'm going to come back to Facebook. Please don't get me going. This, we'll be here till three. <laughs> but simply, I want to be in your presence. I mean, how many of us as spouses, right? How many of us just enjoy it sometimes? Someone says, you know what? No fancy place to go. Just want to hang out with you. Just want to be with you. You know, I think there's a concern, and, I, and I'll get back to how this affects the church, but I think it's wreaking havoc on our families is that we become entertainment and activity addicted. Addicted. We're addicted to activity. And so we go from this sport to that activity to this theme park. Just was at Great America, so I'm not pointing at anybody. Okay? But we go, we go, we go, we run on fumes, and then we wonder, man, we feel empty with each other. Our home is empty. Our relationships are empty. They're bankrupt. Because we've lost relationship focus. And God was the initiator of relationship. That's why this message matters. Is because when we get near to him, we'll realize all our other relationships matter too. And it's not about where we go or where we are. It's who we're with. It's who we're with. And how we're spending that time. And I am struggling with this just like everyone. Okay? But you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I've seen this. I don't even have a Facebook account, but I I look on my wife sometimes and I see, and I've seen cases where 
individuals I actually know. And there's this thing these days of, you know, on Facebook, people will say glowing things. And I think that's great. You know, again, please, don't do the opposite. I've seen too much of that too, where people shred each other on Facebook. But I've seen it where it's done. But there is something, sometimes I think that's almost become a substitute. As long as I put a good post about my spouse, I don't have to treat them good after that. I've done my duty. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us care more about the in-person relationship than we do about a Facebook post. Again, Facebook posts, do good with them, please. Please, if you're going to do them, do good with them. If you're not doing good with them, stop doing the stuff you're not. Because I think it begins to matter, especially when we represent Christ. But I will say this, if you're going to do good with them, don't limit your affection to your spouse or your kids on Facebook. Tell them in person. Live it in person. We're li- we've begun to live in an, an artificial bubble. And we think we can do everything out in cyberspace. It's not real. It's not authentic. And believe me, I know when I see young people who come interview for a job and they can't look you in the eye. And they can't lift up their head because they're down, this is the, their posture 80% of the time. It matters. And how's that going to work for them? How's this generation going to do in marriage down the road? Well, honey, we got a really tough issue to work through. <laughs> yeah, and it just got tougher because you won't look me in the eye. Okay? So, tell the Lord you love him and make time to just be with him. Don't care if anyone else knows. In fact, I'm going to set us free this morning. Love being with the Lord when no one knows about it. Get rich in that. And you're going to see your love meter go up for God. And I will too. Thirdly, and this is the, probably the, as tough as anything, but love with Christ equals obedience to Christ. Love for Christ equals obedience to Christ. Psalm 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. You know, we, we, we hear these words, oh, really, you can hate? Yeah, evil. Hate evil, not people, evil. Okay? I think it, I'm going to give full license. Paul, correct me if I'm doing wrong here this morning. You can hate murder, and you should. You can hate lies for everything lies do to relationships, and you should. You can hate racism, and you and I should. We can hate pornography, for the crippling that it does. And we should hate evil. Yeah, there's people that are saturated in that stuff and we got to find a way to love them when they're covered in that stuff. But hate the evil itself. That's loving God. That's loving God. That's being on his side. Hate evil. Again, I'm not talking protests and pickets and all that. I'm not talking that today. The evil itself, though, we should hate. The shedding of innocent blood, we should hate, okay? Because we love God, and God gives life. We should love what God loves. We should hate what he hates. Jesus said in John 14, 15, there's there's a couple of verses in this section. In John chapter 14, verse 15, 21, and 23 to 24. Let me read them quickly. And there's tremendous promises for us, though, as we do. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commands Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who what? Loves me. 
right? The one who loves me, here comes an amazing promise, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. You know what Jesus is saying? As we love and grow in that love and that obedience, I believe more revelation comes to us. I believe more a kind of unveiling happens for us in terms of seeing God for who he is, understanding the word, discerning what's going on. He says, I will show myself. Man, how many of you want more of Jesus and seeing Jesus for who he is, not clouded by the world, not clouded by, you know, at times the, the, the broader body of Christ being weakened and, and carnal. See Jesus for who he is. And then over in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He just keeps hammering this. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. <laughs> father and the son, what a promise. How many of you like that after church today? Who's coming over to your house? Uh, the Father and the Son are going to be coming on over. What a meal. What kind of supping is that? That's presence. That's his presence. That's his, his revelation. I will show myself. We'll make our dwelling, our home, our abode with them. That's the presence of God. Man, being surrounded in God. Love him, obey him, and not just, ah, I got to obey God, this stinks. No, obey God, and God, I want more of you. God, I want to see you more as you are. I want more of your presence like that. What an amazing promise the Lord has given us. Finally, and this maybe ties back to the first thing about telling him we love him, but four is make him known. You You can't hide under a bushel when you're passionate about someone, right? You, you can't, um, you know, bury it somehow. When you're passionate for someone, it just shows, it radiates, and, and it should. And that's what I think our God wants more from us. And, and I'm not talking today, please, this isn't personality-based. Oh, well, some people got it, some people don't. Some people are more personality, charismatic, extroverted. Some are more introverted. This isn't limited to that. God wasn't limited to personalities when he said some of this stuff. And I know some quiet brethren that are full and glowing for Jesus. Praise God for them. They make up for the blabbermouths like me. Talk too much. But seriously, this, this passion for God isn't about personality. If you're a quieter person, I thank God for you. Glow for Jesus. Make them known. Be passionate. If you're more of a talker, do the same. Let it show through your life. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, as Paul said to Timothy, don't be ashamed, Timothy, to testify about our Lord. Let the love brew. This is the same Paul who said of Timothy, you know, to, to, he needed to have that, what, those, those sparks renewed from the time Paul had laid his hands on Timothy and prophesied over him. And Timothy had a calling. And Paul said, we've got to get that going again. Get that flame going again. Okay, it's okay to be introverted. It's not okay to have not have a fire. There's a difference. God's okay with our personalities. He's okay with, in some ways, our comfort zones. But he has a fire he wants to deposit within us. Because he wants to impact the world around us. He wants to impact our homes, our churches, our neighborhoods, our workplaces with him. So make him known when you're in love with him. You know, I, I'm, I'm, 
there, there's a last part to this I'm just going to reserve. I did this with the youth on Wednesday. Uh, Adam was out. So I talked to the, the, the youth about how loving God will drive and guide and transform how you do the second part. Because there was a second part, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and do what else? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And I'm, I'm passionate about this. I just, I just feel like I don't want to overdo today. So here's what I want to leave you with, though. What I want to challenge us with when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself, because I believe, personally, the way I view this, the, these commands, it's one command with two parts to it. You know, because I, my, my fear is what's happened is we've divorced the two, okay? And the reason, and I hear this all the time quoted by people who aren't even believers, I hear it quoted by kind of uh, carnal churchgoers, is, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And what it's come to mean to a lot of people is, want others happy just like you want to be happy. Right, youth? You heard that Wednesday? We've kind of tweaked it a little bit, or the world and even aspects of the, of the church have tweaked this. And here's the problem with that. If what you want to make you happy is something that offends God, I've got a real choice, don't I? If your happiness is what I'm about, then I'm going to say, love the Lord your God, you've got to stay in the closet right now because I want so-and-so happy. Or maybe they want me happy, right? And all of a sudden, loving God gets thrown over there, make your neighbor happy like you want to be happy, and brethren, I'm just going to be real this morning. I hear a lot of us counseling things we shouldn't be counseling to people because we want them happy rather than loving them the way God loves us. And there's, there's, a, there's a tremendous difference sometimes in how that is. Now, look, make no mistake, we're called to love our neighbor, period. He loved us first. We're supposed to love our neighbor. First John says, you know, how can you love, say you love God who you can't see and Hate your neighbor who you do see. It's inconsistent. It's not okay. But what I want to leave us with, just to keep this short on this point, is loving your neighbor is completely unified with loving God. And I can only love my neighbor right if I'm loving God at the same time. They don't divorce themselves. And I just want us to pray about that. You know, pray about how that affects, quote unquote, how I love my neighbor. Because I can never, and, and the way I phrase it to the youth is simply this, change it around. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about I want you to be blessed just like I want to be blessed. I like blessed better than happy. Happy is in the moment, right now, regardless of context. Blessed means God gives his approval and he can bless it. I'm okay if you want to translate that way. Want others to be blessed just as you want to be blessed. And look, what that means is then, I got to want it too. I got to want you to love me that way too. And that may mean someone like Adam Lopez is going to come and challenge me once in a while. Brother. Can't believe I just opened that can of worms. <laughs> but seriously, if we love the Lord, this isn't an issue, is it? If we love the Lord, man... Speak into my life to help me love him more. You know, brother, brother Bill Tompkins, a dear friend of mine, is here this morning, and he's played a vital role in teaching me what it is to love God and love others. Pastor Paul, you know, people put, God puts in your life that help you understand and, and get a better view of what this is like. But, you know, I think our lives should kind of be that driver, that drive. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll pick up the downhearted, you'll feed the poor, you'll clothe the naked, 
You'll do all these acts of compassion, the good Samaritan, if you will, but it'll also be the love we show will propel them to Christ. It won't be a roadblock in their way. Never. It'll never be a, a stumbling block along the way. So this is what I feel, brethren, this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up the preaching time. I'm going to maybe ask Annie, if she can, to, to come. We're going to open the altar, okay? And I certainly will be up here if someone wants prayer. The, the leaders can be up here, but, but seriously, I mean this when I say this this morning because I felt like this is what God said. This isn't even about necessarily this morning praying for others. This is about us, each of us, and even the leaders, I'm saying this. This is about us getting this love relationship where it needs to be. And maybe we're doing great, praise God, then just enter into more of it. If you're doing great in how you love God, wonderful. But maybe this morning we realize that, wow, this hasn't been a focus. It's all been about how God loves me. But this morning God's awakened me. This matters. This matters. In fact, my relationship with him is going to get stronger as I begin to love back. As I begin to love back by telling him I love him, by, you know, spending time with him that's all about him, not about agenda, not about busy ministry. Man, leaders, we can get caught in this. Just time in his presence. Time sitting at his feet. Remember Mary and Martha? You know, we use that verse, but I was just reread it again. Wow, Martha, Lord, you know, Mary's, she's not helping me. And again, we should help, we should help. This isn't about laziness. But she was sitting at his feet. And Jesus kind of rebuked Martha, right? He's like, Martha, you're, you're all perplexed. That's us today with our smartphones, our dumb phones. We're perplexed. We're taking in too much information. We, we're too busy. We got it. We're activity addicted. And the Lord says, come back, like Mary, sit at my feet for a while. Jesus said, Martha, she's chosen the better thing. And then he said, and it won't be taken from her. Man, like the Lord's a little defensive of that, isn't he? Like we're having time together here. I'll fight for Mary. I'll fight for you too, Martha, if you make the right choice. I'm going to fight for you to get into my presence. I'm going to fight for you to have a prayer life that's real. Not just asking for stuff, but really communing with my heart. This is a relationship that gets to the point of, Lord, I love you so much, even if obedience costs me, I want to obey you. I want to do what you call me to do. I want to say yes to your will and to your ways, as the song says. And maybe there's some areas I need to start saying no to. Okay, there's some, some junk that's stealing life from me. There's some habits that are stealing life from me. There's some apathy and laziness. Misuse of time that's robbing me. I'm going to say no. Because I want to say yes to you. I love you so much, Lord. That's what I want. That's what I want. Hallelujah. So this altar's open. Sup with God. If you want prayer, raise your hand, whatever. We'll pray for you. But today, this morning, I think it's about just at his feet. I think that's where he's focused. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, please, I'll be right here. You want to know him? You want to come into this love relationship? What a morning to do it. Let's do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Let's do it today.